everyone. Welcome to Prairie Doc Radio. We're here with Dr. Rick Holm, who is an internist, medical uh, doctor for adults. And we're here to answer your questions of a medical nature. Please call us at 692-1430. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Joni. Uh, <clears throat> I think the, uh, I'm going to make that clear. I really would like... Uh, questions I've I've scribbled some questions that I thought would be of value today to start out with, but I I think it'd be more fun to have your questions. So think about it. Fourteen thirty on your dial, you know six nine two one four three zero. Well, you always have important things to say, so you don't have to do, always. Do I always have yeah, important things well, to say? Well, not always. But <laughs> I'm going to start with a question. We're going to get right to it. Uh, what is the best preventative method for atherosclerosis, which is uh, narrowing of the vessels in the heart? Well, actually, atherosclerosis is all the vessels of the body. You know, True. every single cell in the body has a vessel that feeds it, and we all live by we've we all live by virtue of blood flow to get to each cell and keeping it alive. You know. Uh, when there's a blockage of the coronary arteries, uh, then uh, you can have a heart attack. But if you talk about uh, vascular disease, it includes, you know, where there's blockage of blood flow to the brain, to the heart, to the lungs, to the kidneys, you know, to the lower extremities, to your feet. And so vascular disease is... Uh, the ultimate end for anyone, and it's really the the reason why people uh, commonly uh, pass away in the end of the, their lives. It is a normal aging process. We all have it. Uh, the question is, uh, can you? Um, what can you do to make sure that it's as minimal as you can have it throughout your life, so you can have a full life that's that's unlimited by, you know, previous heart attacks or strokes or or blood flow to the blockage to the feet. I wonder what answer you might have. Well, that's... <laughs> so the people out there know that I am a real advocate for exercise and activity uh, and that there is no real good pill for it. I mean, you know, I want to make a comment about the, the statin lipid-lowering drugs. It would be great if they worked. They don't work very well. If you think about it, the people who have had a heart attack or have had a major stroke or who have known significant vascular disease, if they take those pills on a regular basis, then one out of 28 will be benefited. And, uh, and the 27 out of 28 will not. Uh, if you have not had a heart attack or if not had a stroke, and you're taking it because your cholesterol is elevated or because there's heart disease in the family or because you're overweight or because you're, you know, whatever it might be, putting you at risk. Um, there's one, it, you've got to treat 800 or 900 people before one is benefited. In, uh, in other words, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, it's, it's not a significant issue. What is the significant thing that you can do to make a difference? And, of course, the answer is activity, exercise. Um, and, and one could eat less. Well, and I, I know you are not as much a proponent about talking about what's in the diet as in versus just the quantity. And I agree that quantity is a problem. But 
if you live on fried food, right? If your diet, if you buy things from the frozen section consistently, and when we talk about food deserts, when we talk about small towns that don't have fresh food, yes. and you go to the store and you get what's available and you have fried uh, chicken and you know, chicken McNuggets, um, and, and working in pediatrics. Diet. When I talk, when when I ask parents if their children eat meat, and they say, "Oh, they eat McNuggets," as if there's no nothing else other than you know McNuggets, McNuggets then um, <laughs> we've got a problem in our society. We so we need to stay away from the fried foods, the uh, saturated fats. You know, um, I think if you look at Traveling, you know, we've recently been doing a fair amount of traveling, you and I together, and you you stop by any any gas convenience station, store. convenience store, and you walk in there, it's almost all bad food. I mean, it's just almost all either candy, high calorie snacks, you know, um, deep fat fried this or that, and then and if they do have food, you know, the, they're hot dogs that are on little roller things that stay semi-warm all day long, which you worry about. Uh, and I have to say, I, I really like them. <laughs> I mean, you know, I love those hot dogs, but Joni, you don't. I know that, but... Uh, but they're well, not good for you. Foods with high preservatives because they have to stay on the shelf a long time. Right. And what we encourage are the fresh fruits and fresh foods. That do not have the preservatives. Now, in the frozen section, I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to counter your comment about vegetables. You've got frozen vegetables. In Absolutely. There. They're really, you know, they say that frozen is almost better than fresh. I agree with you there. And and uh, you know, you can get a lot of things in the frozen section that are not adulterated by preservatives or deep fat frying or you know saturated fats. So I'm my sense is that uh, you know if you just got into a habit of eating properly, uh, you, we would all do better. And our kids would especially do better if we spent the time and worked at making good food. My two favorite thoughts on this, and then we need to take a break so I get the last word here. Oh, okay. <laughs> two favorite things I've heard at lectures. You can eat anything you want as long as you make it yourself from scratch. So think about that. You want Fried a croissant? Okay. If you want a croissant, you're going to make it from scratch? You know, how often are you going to do these things? Sure, we're going to have homemade pie. Well, how often do you do that? You know, not every day. I don't anyway. So think about that. If you want it, think about it from scratch. And the second one, my, my very favorite, is don't worry about uh, how much you exercise, what days, how much, how, what's the volume. Just remember this one thing. If you're going to uh, exercise, exercise on the days that you eat. Exactly. Just exercise on the days that you eat. That ought to do it. Yeah, that should work. It. So there you <laughs> All go. Right. All Let's right. Let's take our first break, and we'll be right back. And we do <laughs> hope you'll call in your questions at 692-1430. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're here today with Dr. Rick Holm. We are answering medical questions. We'd love to have you call us at 692-1430. And I think we'll move to our next question. We should do that story with uh, Rasputin, though. That was really fun. Bob in the interim was talking about 
he was reading about Rasputin. I've read about Rasputin as well, particularly since I had a med student who, uh, uh, and I had a case when the med student was following me, of a man who bled into his groin area when he was on anticoagulation for atrial fib. Well, it was all indicated, it was appropriate. He's on blood thinners, and he bled into his groin area. Well, the groin swelling was so severe that it blocked the nerve down his leg. So he had femoral neuropathy associated with a bleeding complication. And if you look at, if you read cases of this, the most famous case was that of the Tsar Nicholas, the whatever, the third, the twelfth, whatever, the kid that was a hemophiliac and was uh, the mother was obsessed about the kid having this bleeding tendency, and he had the same thing. He had the, the femoral neuropathy associated with bleed into the groin. And so, Bob, what was that that you were saying about uh, Rasputin? Well, back in the day, aspirin was just coming to the forefront, and they discovered the many benefits. And so the court physicians had prescribed for this young boy, Alexia, massive doses of aspirin, which, of course, we know contributed largely to a lot of his bleeding. Yeah. Rasputin then wormed his way into the court and, and supposedly cured this boy's bleeding by just prevent, the preventing take the... Yeah. And they used to sing... Uh, Alexia, Alexia, mustn't run, mustn't play, mustn't skip, mustn't climb, must be careful all the time. That was the no kidding. little wow. nursery line that oh, they, yeah, wow. so, yeah. Mm. Poor kid couldn't do anything. I know. You know. And the doctors of the day, they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they didn't know about platelets. They didn't know about aspirin. I mean, they didn't know about bleeding, uh, hemophilia. They just knew that this kid was sickly. And um, Rasputin gained power by virtue of kicking the doctors out of the court and becoming the favorite of the czar's, uh, the czar's wife. And, and then with that, he had undue influence and caused all sorts of problems, which consequently came to the revolution, didn't it? It was Rasputin. They, tried, they poisoned him in the end. That son they of a gun didn't They poisoned him. Die. They shot him. They strangled him and then they drowned him. Yeah, and oh he's still alive. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. he, he couldn't. They he couldn't was taught kill to kill. Whoa! They but tried the, everything. The 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 noblemen from the court don't encourage. They that. were such lousy shots that they shot him and it, they didn't kill him. And then they fed him poison, but they had no idea what the correct dosage was, so that didn't do it. So then they all got together and choked him and drug him down to the river, and he was still alive. So then they held him under the water until he died. Yeah, so, oh, man. Yeah. Hard please, to kill. please, yeah. let's not uh, repeat that one. That's, yeah. So we got a good question that just came in. Yes, um, but just to follow up on that, you know, hemophilia is still around, and but now it's much, we, we know so much more, and it's treatable. Right. We treat it pr- tr- primarily with transfusions. Of platelets and of well, not really platelets, but of of clotting factors right. that Factor are eight. extracted from the blood of donors. So yes, it is is around, but less of a problem. So uh, we have a question um, from a caller. Uh, what can this person? I don't have an age, but what can they take to help out with shingles? They're on gabapentin, but it isn't working well. So right. in that sense, we're we're talking about the pain aspect of the right. shingles, correct? Right. The neuropathy shingles, you know, of course, is is chicken pox, but it is recurring. You know, that you have chicken pox as a child. Well, we hardly have chicken pox anymore because of the vaccine. Every once in a while, there's a person who did not get the vaccine. They're, they're inappropriately fearful of the mercury 
uh, exposure, which is no longer there. Uh, they're panicked. Uh, and uh, it's a travesty, really, that this is happening, that people are misinformed such that they would be afraid to get vaccines, which have preven prevented so much suffering. But I don't think this case is probably someone who no. didn't get a vaccine. Well, this I kind of thought I'd chat right, about right. the advantages of a vaccine. I mean, it's one of the major issues, I think, that anybody with good medical background would promote is Correct. good vaccinations. Uh, but anyway, uh, now what happens is instead of the old chicken pox that I used to, that I had when I was a kid, which is the chicken pox, these little blisters all over the body, and then what happens is you've got the infection somewhere still alive in a nerve. Um, and then what happens somewhere in your life, for one reason or another, maybe your immune system drops because of aging or whatever it might be, the chicken pox pop, uh, pops out along the neuroderm, they call it, you know, this, along the skin that follows the nerve. For example, it'll start in the back and it'll wrap itself around as the nerve comes around uh, in that nerve pathway. But it stops at the midline, so you're only going to have it on one, one half. One side. Now, I've seen people have that in their face right up to their eye. I've seen it uh, right to the midline. I've seen it along the neck. I've seen it down an arm on one arm, not the other. I've seen it down one leg. Um, but the major issue is the older you get, the worse post-herpetic infection pain you will have. They call that uh, herpes uh, 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 zoster. Uh, and so um, it's uh, herpes Zoster and the, the, the post-herpetic neuralgia. But what do so, you do for the pain? So the answer that I have is that we commonly will treat, this person probably had their uh, anti-herpes uh, viral. Uh, viral infection antibiotic. Uh, and then you once you have the antibiotic, you can also treat with steroids because of the inflammation that occurs. And then once that's done, the people will have the pain. I at least give them another round of the anti-herpes uh, antibiotic uh, because uh, sometimes I have seen in my experience that it isn't all gone. The infection is still um, uh, cranking away. And so another round of... of the antiviral. The antiviral. Maybe talk another. with your primary So talk to your provider. doctor and say, can I have another round of the antiviral? It won't hurt me. It's in, relatively inexpensive. At this point, is there anything else if that doesn't work? Anything else pain-wise they should be doing? Right. Well, then, then what you have is a neuropathy that is painful and persistent, and there are a variety of different answers for it. Uh, one of them is the gabapentin, which did she She's mention? She's taking, this? Mm -hmm. but she doesn't uh, feel like it's working. And you can go to a higher dose. Uh, there's a fair amount of do a dose of gabapentin you can get to. Uh, you can know also that over time it'll get better. Uh, but it takes a long time sometimes. Uh, you can take the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. I can tell you the narcotics are not very good for this. I would not get started on anything that has uh, oxycodone or hydrocodone. Um, that's, you're asking for trouble. Uh, and I would, you know, there are people who speak about uh, marijuana being effective for this. Um, and so I'm not speaking with any experience, but I would say that that's another option that people can choose um, illegally to do. And I'm not promoting it. I'm just saying it's, it's, there's words about it.
Okay. Right. I remember talking to someone who had shingles um, on their head and face, and they talked about the pain that their their job during this time was to hold as still as possible and try not to think. Oh, and it just hurt to me think. to think about that until it went away. I mean, they were using the other therapies, but that that pain, that headache pain was mm-hmm. so severe. You know, I've gone tough. through... I have to say that I've gone through my whole life as a physician, and I've had episodes of sickness here and there, you know, nothing very major. I've never really... I mean, I've had hernia repairs t- twice, and, uh, you know, uh, all the normal things that people normally have. But in October, I came down with pancreatic cancer. Uh, and then I ended up with chemotherapy, which was not easy to take. And then I ended up, uh, after six rounds of this pretty powerful triple anti-neoplastic uh, uh, drugs, I had uh, 28 doses of radiation therapy. And then, May 10th, I had a Whipple procedure where they removed uh, head of the pancreas, head of the stomach, uh, the uh, biliary tract, uh, and, and part of the small intestine, and a foot or so of the small intestine, and then reconnected the whole thing with the hope that it would not break down and you know, wouldn't end up with infection or pancreatitis, and I did not. But I didn't realize, thank goodness, knock on wood, but I did not realize how much... Uh, pain a person would have. And I've not had pain in my life to any great extent. I haven't had migraine headaches. Uh, I haven't had any major arthritic problems uh, until the chemo kind of took my running out the door. Uh, and I haven't, I've, I've not dealt with much before until this. And it's, it's a revealing thing that pain is not something uh, that uh, you can just go, well, too bad that you have this, and then go into the next room, and the pain is gone. <laughs> uh, it is one of those things that you uh, live with. Some people live with chronic pain, and I've, uh, my empathy uh, uh, has turned uh, much, uh, much higher. <laughs> I have a sense of the value of, uh, of, of realizing the other person's uh, pain and walking in their moccasins a little bit better. So the story of the... Her uh, shingles on the face just hurts you to think about. uh, I can tell you, I have, in this last, you know, six weeks, I have suffered. And I know that um, it will go away, but I've laid there uh, praying to God, please get me out of this. Please give me some relief. And there's, you know, those are not long episodes. And um, it's just a kind of an up and down periodic thing. The gut wants to give you, you know, you get this cramping diarrhea thing. Those are not very comfortable. I mean, all of this stuff about being ill, it's not fun. Uh, And that's part of this whole business of life. You know, in between these things, you can have wonderful fun. uh, And you grasp on the wonderful fun. And you stay active. And you get your mind off of the pain. And that's your best treatment by far. The pills help some. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, part of it is that you know it's going to get better over time. Yeah, Bob? I have a word for you that you think about when you're in pain, and I know what that word is. What's it's that? regatta. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> so Saturday we went in a regatta, and our son Carter, our middle son, uh, and uh, he was the captain, I was his assistant, you know. 
and uh, we won our 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 uh, group. Division. We didn't, our division. We didn't win the whole race, but we really did well, and it was just a good race. And it and was Rick's first chance to sail post surgery, so pulled the feeding tube uh, three days before when we were at the mail last week. So I was able to go sailing, and then I took a hot tub. A bath after the the sailboat ride. <laughs> so well, it was great. It gets you by these hard times. You know, I think mostly the thing is to be active and get your mind on something else. Good. Let's take a break, and then we have another question that we need to get to. Okay. So this is Prairie Doc Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joni Holm filling in for Joan Hogan. This is Prairie Doc Radio, and we have Dr. Rick Holm in studio. Um, this is an interesting question, and I'm not sure if I understand or what you will think of it, but an 80-year-old female called in saying that she's having trouble keeping her sodium level up, but she's not supposed to have salt. What else should she eat? No. Well, let me just say this. Uh, sodium levels are among the most challenging internal medicine questions that there is. And my whole life of caring for people, I have dealt with that problem time and time again. I've given lectures on it. The causes are multiple. Uh, one of the way, uh, th listen to this. There are three main categories of causes for people to be low sodium. One is when people are extremely dry, they're dehydrated, crawling across the desert, three days in the desert, not any water, barely making it. They, they finally find an oasis. They crawl in. They check their sodium. The sodium is dead low. The BUN is sky high because they're dehydrated. Their urine is very, very concentrated. And they have saved uh, as much sodium as they could, but it wasn't enough because um, they're Okay, well, we can rule that out because dehydration. this lady would not be that dehydrated. No. Okay. Uh, sometimes people are normally dehydrated from diuretics, though, and that confuses the picture because they're on medicines, because they're on heart failure. The second reason uh, that a person could be low in sodium is because they're overhydrated. They've drank too much water. Uh, there's, a, there's a syndrome of polydipsia. They drink too much water. Uh, and uh, It they, dilutes the sodium. It dilutes the sodium. They end up with low sodium, but what it is is it's too much water. You have the normal amount of total body sodium, but you have too much water, and it's diluted. So you're too wet. So the opposite of too dry is you're too wet, and then you can have low sodium. Well, that's funny. The common cause is heart failure. People will present with heart failure because... Um, that's number three cause. That's the second cause. Okay. Heart failure, too much, too much fluid. They have edema. They're swollen, and and that's the scenario. The third cause is they're just right. They're not dry. They're not wet. But they have, uh, and mostly it's uh, it's it's an imbalance of a hormone in their uh, in their system, sometimes related to taking um, uh, different kinds of medicines. Uh, sometimes related to uh, uh, a psychiatric uh, issue. Uh, sometimes it's related to meds that you're taking for the psychiatric issue that does it. So, um, in other words... <laughs> it's very complicated. It's a complicated deal. You're too wet, you're too dry, or you're just right. And if you're just right, the treatment is stop uh, drinking water. If you are... Uh, 
uh, dehydrated. Uh, let's not say stop. Let's say Cut back drinking limit, fluids. Yes. Right. Limit the f- fluid intake that you take. If you're too wet, you're also going to want to do that, but some of that is going to be medicinal, Treat me, treating it with uh, a diuretic in a more aggressive way and using spironolactone and a balance of things. It's a very careful thing. You've got to be monitoring the patient carefully. If you're too dry, you give them water. So this person needs to be talking with the primary care provider. And And the primary care provider, if they're confused, if they're going, I just can't handle this, I don't know what it is, get another opinion. We, we all should do this more. I, we, uh, you know, they don't do it in the big city. They don't do it in the, in the little town. Uh, call on your neighbor who, is a, who has worked with this for a while and uh, get a few ideas. Uh, work it's, on a, it. uh, it's a more common geriatric problem. Very Many of our family problem. practice doctors have dealt with it, but also the internal medicine doctors. Right. Um, it does sound nice and complicated, but really to think, too, about the medications that she's on. And, and that, that would be possibly a question the pharmacist could at least get her started on while she's getting that appointment set up. I can just tell you that it is the most complicated thing in medicine. And if you go to the pharmacist who is not always clinically exposed, uh, they will certainly look at the medicines and give you the medicine balance. That's one thing to concern yourself but the real answer is sometimes taking salt. Uh, she says, but sometimes I'm told not to take salt. I've, I've given some of these people, if they don't have edema, I've given them salt tablets. So they need to think about their ankles, if their socks they wear cause compression and they can see the ribs of their socks, if they can push their finger in and Dent- it stays dented in, then yeah. that's edema in the ankles. So You've got to be careful about that one. Mostly it means you need more medicine. So you definitely need to talk with their provider. As, you know, I'll tell you, one of the things that people used to die from when we didn't have good heart failure medicines is low sodium. And in the end, no matter what you did, they would end up with low sodiums and they would go out because their heart was so weak it couldn't pump. And some, sometimes that's the cause. Uh, we were so much better with our medicines. And the lisinopril and the... Uh, or the AR, uh, uh, the uh, lisinopril-like medicines uh, have made a huge difference in treating heart failure uh, because they can help with that low sodium. So it's a very complicated. Very issue. complicated. Well, that was interesting. Um, we are running out of time. I know we are having uh, taped shows this summer instead of live on Call with the Prairie Doc. Right, and I'm not... F- don't recall what's coming up this exactly. week, but just to tell our audience that there is a, show, a show on Thursday night. nights yeah. at 7 o'clock, and it, it may be one that you've seen, but often you... you might not remember the topic, so you're still going to learn something, so we encourage you to watch that. I just have to say, last night we went to, uh, we were invited to do what is the um, uh, Golden what is Humanism it? Award. Golden Humanism Award. I'd received it a couple of years past and I had to give a talk, and a man was giving a presentation last night. And I made, I wanted to see hit him give his talk on kindness. It was beautiful. Um and afterwards, we see people uh, that go, oh, my mom, you know, and here's this lady. She's probably in her 70s. Oh, my mom just loves your show. <laughs> she's still too young to love the show, that, but her mother sure does at 92. 
Uh, and you get these things wherever, you know, all over the place, and it's just a joy to so hear we appreciate that, that actually folks. see the darn TV show. Yeah, Bob. Like my dad's sitting right now in his pickup in the driveway listening because the radio in the house won't pick up the station. Oh, is that right? So. Hi, Dad. <laughs> hi, Dad. Dr. Ricky says hi. Hey, I can tell you Bob is a hero of mine. What oh, a great, golly. good guy. And I got to meet his granddaughter. I got to meet your great-granddaughter there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Stay healthy out there, people.